Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for one in a series of podcasts that document three days of workshops on the study of the Enneagram, with panels exploring the different personality types, led by Beatrice Chestnut and hosted by Michael Lerner. This episode documents the Type 4 Enneagram panel, led by Beatrice Chestnut. So the last of our three heart types, uh, to now we'll have the Type 4 panel. And uh, so this is uh, the heart type. So if, 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 this, if sadness or grief is the core emotion of the heart types, uh, and each of, in each triad, there's one type that overdoes the core emotion, one type that underdoes it, and one type that's kind of in conflict with it. Like last week, we, last time we saw the body-based types, and eights kind of can overdo anger, nines underdo anger, they go kind of unconscious to their anger, and ones are sort of in conflict with it. They, they experience it more as a tamped-down version of anger, as resentment or annoyance or self-righteousness. Um, whereas uh, for the heart triad, um, threes underdo sadness. We heard them talking about how they don't really want to be in touch with the sadness. It's, it's kind of an effort to get in touch with grief, although they're very emotional. They work hard, and part of the working hard is to not feel the, the sadness underneath, but when they really tune into themselves, they do feel that. Twos are a bit at odds with it. Twos can be very emotional, very in touch with sadness or grief, um, but tend to... to feel like they need they, they don't want to express it because it's embarrassing or it gets in the way of relationship. Um, type fours tend to overdo or live more from a sense of sadness or melancholy uh, to some degree. What? Love it. Yes. <laughs> Already we're hearing the story. And <laughs> it's as if it's as if they um, Almost living in their emotions is part of the defensive strategy of the personality. Uh, and they can over-identify with their emotions. To some degree, uh, type fours are the most in touch with their emotions of any type on the Enneagram. Uh, and so they can uh, identify with certain emotions and get too attached to them. We heard one of the threes talk about how uh, it's, a, it's an effort to feel the feeling, but the thought that, you know, if you feel it and learn from it and let it go, it actually passes through you quite quickly was a, it's kind of a relief to her. Uh, it's important to know that for fours, part of their, their issue comes from not letting it go. So feeling it, being in it, but not always letting it move on, um, getting more wrapped up in it as opposed to uh, just feeling it, uh, processing it, and, and, uh, and letting it pass. Um, so fours over-identify with some emotions almost as a way to defend against other emotions. So there can be a certain comfort or familiarity in sadness or melancholy that actually is kind of comfortable. Uh, and, and so there can, when, when I was in therapy and I'm a two, uh, there was a long period of time where I think I spent a lot of time in a four space. And I remember my therapist reflecting to me that he thought I was using depression as a defense. Uh, and I think depression or sadness can operate as a defense. In other words, I'm going to stay in these feelings because I don't want to move out of them where I might risk feeling a, another feeling that might be more threatening or more, um, more uncomfortable. Um, so that's one thing about fours. Fours tend to be 
focused more on the inside than the outside. We heard with both twos and threes, they're outer referencing. They're checking the outside world to know how to be uh, because they want to shift their presentation to connect with you or to impress you uh, or to uh, create relationship or rapport with you. Fours tend to focus more internally. They're self-referencing. So they live more in their internal world of feelings and the inner territory. Uh, and sometimes uh, it can be hard for them to come out of themselves and experience what's really happening. And so they can really live their life from their inner sense of how things are or their fantasy or idealization of what's going on, uh, on in the inside. And they also tend to be uh, more in touch with their needs, more in touch with what's happening in the inside, their emotional life, uh, and then say specifically twos or threes. Uh, fours value a lot being authentic. Uh, and ex if you're in a feeling, you shouldn't apologize for it. If it's authentic and real, it's, it's okay. It's, and so in some ways, I think fours have something to teach all of us about the value of emotions and the value of being emotionally intelligent. Fours, often their attention goes to what's missing in a given situation. Uh, and so they can see sort of what's not really working very well uh, or what's missing and needs to be attended to. They also have a really good emotional intuition for what's going on at an emotional level beneath the, uh, the, the surface level of interactions. So in families, for instance, they often sense what's the shadow of the family and sometimes speak to it uh, because fours are truth tellers and they're also nonconformists. They kind of want to speak the truth and, and bring out the truth as a way of helping people often. Like, look, this is what you need to look at. This is what you're leaving out that you, that, that you uh, are going to suffer from if you don't pay attention to it. Uh, and so there can be a way of wanting to surface <clears throat> the darker feelings or the shadow <clears throat> And then, of course, because people, uh, the rest of us types, don't necessarily want to experience difficult feelings or see the shadow, they can then make the four bad for doing this, uh, which is one reason why fours often feel like they don't fit into families or like they have gotten unfairly uh, scapegoated or, um, or blamed for the fact that they're just trying to name what's true uh, in their view. And so oftentimes fours can suffer from a feeling of deficiency, like inadequacy, like there's something wrong with me. In early life, this, this stems from an experience in early life where often fours describe the, an experience of a lost paradise, like they were connected at one point, and it can be uh, often to a caretaker. They experienced a positive connection, but then at a certain moment, they lost that connection, and there can be an over-focus on that loss and also a blaming themselves for it. Because as children, when we experience something painful, we often blame ourselves uh, as opposed to blaming something on the outside, simply because we can sort of control it more if we blame ourselves, if we make ourselves bad. Uh, so fours, an example of this might be um, even something as simple as um, being the firstborn and having a good connection with the mother, but then another child comes along right after and then that child gets the attention. And the attention is some way taken away from you. Sometimes it can be a real loss, like a loss of a parent early on or a loss of a significant figure in one's life. Um, but oftentimes this early sense of loss leaves them with a feeling that they've lost something essential that they can't get back. 
Um, Forrest's habit of mind is to have a comparing mind. So they automatically compare themselves to others and can either come up on the bottom of that comparison and experience them as themselves as inferior or not as good as or superior uh, and a little bit better than or more special or more unique. Um, and uh, it, this varies by subtype, which one it's likely to be, whether they compare themselves and find themselves lacking or, or, or better than. Uh, the other. And this sense of envy, which is the passion of the type, grows out of this comparing mind. And it's as if they compare themselves to others, and sometimes there is a perception of someone else has something good that I'm lacking, and so there's something, I'm, there's a sense of inadequacy that I have because I don't have that thing that's seen as good in that other person that, that I don't have. And there can be a dwelling on that, a kind of uh, dwelling on this sense of not having enough or not having what you need or something good that somebody else has. Uh, and there's a kind of suffering that can kind of come out of that. Uh, and then a focus on the suffering again, or a focus on melancholy or sadness. Uh, but again, a lot depends on subtype with fours, because like sixes, fours are some of the most distinct uh, among the subtypes. So the three fours are the most different from themselves, uh, from each other, of any of the types, except for probably sixes. So self-preservation four is a, a type that internalizes suffering. Uh, that kind of takes it in, doesn't talk about it as much, gets kind of stoic and strong, makes a virtue of enduring, puts on a happy face. They're often happy and light. They can look like twos or threes um, and holds the, the darker feelings inside. Usually they got a message that it wasn't okay to share their darker feelings, that they, people only around them only wanted to see happy feelings. So they actually have the heart difficulty sharing their feelings or talking about them with others. Social fours suffer more. They sort of more focus on suffering. They tend to be very sensitive. Uh, and they'll tell you about their suffering as opposed to the self-preservation for that doesn't as much. They have a lot of words for feeling less than and can feel more inferior. Um, the sexual for externalizes suffering. So it may, might make other people suffer in the sense that they can sometimes get angry more, they can complain more, because when they feel a sense of hurt or deficiency inside, instead of feeling that, because that can be a bad, uh, threatening feeling, they, it, it's, it's like, okay, I'm feeling bad because something on the outside world isn't seen me or isn't understanding me or isn't giving me what I need. Uh, and I have a, a sexual for a friend who says uh, that she ne used to need to go to therapy to talk about what she was angry about for 45 minutes so she could get in touch with her hurt and pain for the last five minutes. Uh, because there's the first, the, the topmost response is, is anger. Um, and so sometimes that's called the angry for. But there's also something very energetic about the sexual for because it's almost like they're not afraid of some of the things that some of the rest of us are afraid of in relationship. Like they're not af as afraid of conflict and anger. They kind of say like, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and so they can actually be very present and alive and, and creative in relationship uh, for that reason exactly, because there, mm -hmm. there's, there's not a holding in and there's a, a sense of, that, and that's the more competitive for. It's envy and its manifestation is competition. Like I'm gonna show that I'm as good or better than you. Uh, and all fours have a bit of a sense of wanting to be special or unique, whereas threes want to, twos want to be liked and loved and pleasing and approved of, and threes want to be seen as successful. Fours want to be seen as special or unique, as, as, as special in some way for who they uniquely are as just themselves. Okay, I think I'll leave it there um, and start with uh, asking the experts. 
a little bit more about how they experience uh, type four. We'll start with Annika. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you knew you were a four and how you see these four patterns showing up for you? Well, the thing I can think of, I was born uh, in Holland before the war, the Second World War, and, um, and there was a lot of light in my life because I was very much uh, wanted. I was born kind of a little bit late in the marriage of my parents. And, um, okay, the, the first three years, they were wonderful. And then uh, the war came and we experienced a lot of things connected with the war, uncertainty, threats and whatever. And um, then um, my sister was born that, and that was, I was thrown off the pedestal. And uh, that was hard. On top of that, it was a hunger winter, so we didn't have much to eat. And uh, there was no heat, so I wore about five itchy uh, stockings of wool, not cashmere, but just, <laughs> just very itchy stuff and all that. And uh, that, um, that was hard. But then I got the measles and I was staying in the living room. I remember that distinctly. And... Um, then we had the bombardments, and so you had the curtains very heavy, and you couldn't um, let any light go out. And my father then um, was a very good pianist, although not of profession. Um, he and I, I was staying in the living room, and he said, "Annika, li uh, listen to the music. I'm I'm going to play music. Listen to the music." And, and that was so beautiful and that I just loved it. And he said, just wrap it as a blanket around you. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. And at this day, I'm a radio disc jockey at KWMR, and uh, I just love my music on top of that. I like being anonymous in the studio. No one sees me. I can have my own realm of music and sort my music. And no one is going to criticize me because uh, I hear that it's wonderful. But anyhow, I like it and that is wonderful. Mm. So um, that was something very special and sustained me. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the beginning of just feeling wonderful and I always have felt loved mm -hmm. you know even to this day um, I feel very loved by my friends and my family or the other way around first and uh, yeah that's not a problem. So we're not hearing too many darker emotions from you and you are a self-preservation for right? Yeah I'm a self-preservation for um, and it sounds like you went through a lot in your yeah. early life, yeah. a lot of difficult circumstances, yeah. but what self-preservation fours are good at are sort of not necessarily, like sort of weathering the, st being strong in the face of difficulty. Well, that taught me when I immigrated with um, the father of my children, and um, because immigration was horrendous. 
uh, it was, I landed in a country so crude, so hard, no civilized things in New York, in country New York, that I thought, um, this is survival. I need to survive. And I can't whine about it because I'm here with my family. And um, I need to be very, very strong. And so uh, by the time that um, passed, when we were in New York, we ended up in, in California. That was wonderful because the sun was always shining, no matter how tired I was. Mm -hmm. And we immediately, actually on arrival, um, separated. And then I thought, I need to learn all the techniques of surviving strong and this. And so then the growth spurt started of therapy, groups interested, psychodrama, this and that. And it was wonderful. Mm. So You love exploring the inner territory. Yeah, yes. and it was so entertaining. It was <laughs> so wonderful. All that psychodrama, yeah, it's yeah, great. wonderful. So again, I mean, in the self-preservation four, you see an interesting mix of needing to be strong, mm -hmm. which we hear in your story, yeah. but also kind of looking on the bright side a little bit, too. Well, uh, like I being seem light. to. Yeah. Yeah, I seem to. Sometimes. Yeah. You seem to have that part of the coping strategy is like seeing what's good, what's like listening to the music or. Yeah, and I have so much to be grateful for. I have a wonderful husband, I have great kids and wonderful friends. And I discovered here in California, nature. And nature was so nourishing. I have a rowboat, I row a lot on Tamales Bay and uh, I swim, and nature gives me more uh, nourishment than I can tell you. Yeah. It, and being alone, mm. and so nourishing, I cannot tell you. Another thing I hear, and just the way you're describing your whole experience, is the passion of the four. There's oh. almost an emotion in the way you describe things. It's like a, there's a, a, a passion that comes through, just in describing your experience. Yeah. Yeah, and so the radio is great, but more the music is great. Whenever I'm driving, I listen to music all the time. And outside, you know, on the bay, you hear the music of the birds. You know, you have no idea how many songs the birds are singing yes, early. It's yes. around 6.30 yes. in the morning. So it's sometimes wonderful. people say if you're four, you can't be happy. So I, I think that you are giving lie <laughs> no, to that experience. Opposite. Exactly, right. And yeah. I think that's a big myth about fours. And I yeah. and so I'm glad we're exploding it right from the beginning. And I'm not competitive either. I'm no desire to be competitive, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. then you lose on the experience, mm -hmm. you know, what mm -hmm. you're having. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. So Patrick. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about wow. how you found yourself as a four and how you see the four patterns. The journey of when I was introduced to any Sure, yeah, that's a good place to start. Okay. Um, uh, I was uh, 18 and uh, naively went to train for the Catholic priesthood. <laughs> and um, that's 36 years ago. I'll be 55 this year. So um, 
this the spiritual directors had this new tool which was just coming out of uh, Loyola and all the spiritual directors were going there and they came back with these in the old days, I don't know, Australia, we called it Roneoed sheets. You know, the sheets that were just... Yeah, ditto, yeah. Ditto, yes, yeah, and yeah. They had that really strong yeah. smell and, you know. <laughs> so that was my introduction to the Enneagram on these sheets that we all used and um, for the first, I don't know, probably four months I thought I was a two. That's what I identified that helping and then just couldn't quite get it and then that whole thing about being different, not being enough, not being understood. I went, oh, my God, I thought I'm normal. And that was the thing. I always thought I was odd mm. until I discovered this system. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it kind of opened me up as a young man and um, I suppose for me, Enneagram's been a constant companion with me um, along the journey and um, I think I've been very lucky to have that as a... And you know, I suppose it's been like a, a, a long-term lover, you know, some when you first meet the lover, you're quite passionate and you're in there and rah, you want more of them <laughs> and then you get a bit sick of them and say, oh, you know, give me a bit of space. <laughs> and then, you know, you rekindle the relationship and it hots up again and so that's been my experience and, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I never was ordained but I finished my degrees and then went into education and took Enneagram with me there and I found it really worked well with the kids I was teaching and then with the staffs I was on and, um, you know, I became an executive in a school and and um, so I did it with staff and, uh, yeah, and I think, um, what can I tell you about a four? Not the, not the story because we tend to get into story. Mm -hmm. That's that's mm -hmm. the thing you heard you. Mm -hmm. It's the story, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like a nine but, we like the story. I think that's mm -hmm. important. And I think as a four, and this is what I found in more leadership positions in my life now, often, uh, well, as a self-pres for anyhow, we can sometimes come across as um, pushy or because it takes so long to get what you want to say out <laughs> that sometimes people cut you off, oh, thank you, that's good, right? <laughs> Yeah, hang on, I haven't even got to the, haven't got to the, <laughs> the part main yet. point. Yeah. But it takes so much to get it out for a self pres for anyhow. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to get it out. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my experience anyhow. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think I've learnt um, that it's best sometimes in a group, you know, not to be the first one to have to talk, to actually listen. And then just speak. Because mm. often it's hard from, yeah, as I'm saying, to get it out. What do you think's hard about it? What makes it hard? What are people going to think? Is it going to be enough? Um, it's not as bad, the tapes in my head anymore. But I was talking to Lizzie before and she was saying, oh, my God, you know, I'm, you know I just came up to him dreading this and everything. And, <laughs> oh, God, you know, I don't know. And I used to feel more of that, but I was sitting there today and I thought, oh, 
you know, they were so eloquent, the the threes and the twos I thought were amazing. I thought, oh, you know, what am I going to say? Are they going to think I'm a, you know, bit of a loser or <laughs> am I going to say it right? Or And then, you know, there's a, this expectation and, you know, I don't know, all this stuff goes through my head and it's that tape mm-hmm. that I find I've got to stop and just stay with it because for me anyhow, you know, being the heart centre, I tend to here and then go up here, bound, and you'll see me thinking and it gets stuck. Instead of stopping and having to breathe into the gut, really ground myself down and say it's okay, I'm safe here. Whatever I say, no one knows it like I know it. So whether you agree or not, this is my experience and it's okay. And that's what I've had to come to because I think the self-pres for has this thing that you're not going to understand how I'm suffering anyhow, so why would I tell you? Yes. And as well, <laughs> it's probably very boring in the big scheme of life, so why would you actually want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah, self-press fours make a lot of reasons for why I shouldn't share my feelings with you. So some people would think that, oh, you just disappear. You disappear. You know, I won't say this. I feel very close to be. We've known each other. But sometimes when things aren't going as well as I think they should be, I won't contact her because that way I think, oh, she doesn't want to hear all the stuff that's going on and then I'll probably break down or get upset or, you know, and, oh, you know. So if I just say nothing, mm. then she won't think anything. But I don't realise I'm doing myself out of actually continually building our relationship. Mm. So, yeah, and it's that that envy, you know, which um, – I've heard it said before that with the self-pres for, you know, we create that other people envy us because we appear happy and that. But I've found in the last mm, few years, um, had some personal stuff going on, that I envy other people now. I've really felt that envy, particularly after my mum died. You know, when I hear people talking about their parents or, oh, you know, my mother, I've got to look after her, you know, she's, ah. You know, she's 94, you know, and she's in the nursing home. I still have to go and visit her. And in me, it takes me everything in me to say, do you know how lucky you are? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what I'd give to still have my mum and my dad and my brother and all those people who have died that I was the centre of their world? So I'm being honest. I wouldn't let yeah. this out normally. Yes. <laughs> We but appreciate that's, it. That's how I feel. I think, don't you know what you've got? Mm-hmm. But then again, it's not what I've come to. Is it's not my relationship. It's not my experience of how they're experiencing their mother or their father. Mm-hmm. They might think they don't mightn't have a good relationship. They might think they're an awful person. That's okay. My relationship was mine, and I love them. You know, I had wonderful time, and I wish I would have had more time. Mm-hmm. 
So it's always that sense of loss and missing and mm-hmm. what could have been. And, oh. and hearing other, someone else's story and relating it to yours and instead how, how it saying, makes you feel. Instead of saying, that's their story, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to relate to my story. Mm-hmm. My story is mine. Mm-hmm. I think that's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I don't want to go on about growth, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. We'll do that enough. second yeah. round. But that's, okay, I'm that's, talking too that's, much. N- yeah. No, you aren't. Actually, that was a really beautiful description of how envy works. I think. And, mm. and some, one more thing about self-preservation for is sometimes instead of feeling envy, they can go into action to do something. You know, I'm going to get what I want that I'm envying. So that's and yeah. So, so that's, that's my thing. life has been about success and go and. Doing and business. Look a bit three-ish. Yeah, yeah, very much. People have thought I'm a three, and I've achieved a lot. Um, but there's part of me that thinks I haven't achieved enough. You know, something's missing. Right. Yeah, so. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Lizzie. So. Tell us about how you see the four showing up in your life. Okay. First, I have to get over my envy of not being self-pressed. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because I'm social and they're, social so, they're so functional, you know. You're, 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 <laughs> hey, you're talking about, you know, not being able to let it out. It's like I can't, I, I can't keep it in. Yeah. <laughs> so when I'm, like, agitated, this is what he was talking about, because just out there in the hall and a little bit earlier, it's like, wow, I can really experience all these bodily felt uh, anxiety. So what's going on? And And it's like... I, I just have to get up there and I'll, I'll just have to be confessional and tell everybody what's going on because that's like, then I'll be able to like be present. And it's like that all the time. I mean, it's just very difficult. I'm a psychotherapist and sometimes I'll be starting my session with some agitation that's going on. And on the way I'm walking to work thinking, is it okay if I talk about this? And I was like, no, it's not okay if I talk about that. And then, you know, as soon as I start the session, the person, then I'm, you know, completely out of my own experience and into theirs, which is a huge relief in general. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> You're listening to a TNS episode from the Enneagram Panel Workshop Series with Beatrice Chestnut and host Michael Lerner. So, but how did I know that I was a four? I was in couples therapy and um, my therapist suggested that uh, my partner and I look into the Enneagram um, because I was just, you know, really a pain in the ass. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I would never uh, feel like there was enough (laughs) given to me, enough attention on me, and uh, enough intimacy, and um, was just always since very early huge fantasy life about partnership and marriage and when I was going to be fully met and find the best person and person of my dreams and that makes it hard for an actual real life partner I just say (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it was pretty easy to uh, figure out that I was a four and everything just fit you know I grew up feeling awfully misunderstood and nobody got me and nobody was nice to me and um, in my family, that's all. Everywhere else in the world, I was good good to go. Um, and one of the ways that I would cope with my experience, you know, trying to communicate it with my family, which was never a good idea, and then 
became very internal. I would spend a lot of time in my room and then found a creative expression as a way that I could kind of um, stay in touch with what was true for me and be able to express it without having to take the risk of expressing it to somebody who wouldn't receive it. Mm. Um, and then there's like this thrill and joy and excitement and enthusiasm I have about creating. And there's many things that I do in my life that are creative. And I, I get excited and I want to show it. But then I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's good enough. You know, I don't know. I should have used this. You know, this like uh, always coming in like with the, uh, I'm a, what? Doubt. Yeah, with doubt and with feeling like, well, I'll undercut myself so that when you criticize me, it won't be as bad, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and what else? <laughs> so can you say anything about how you experience your emotions or how you might over-identify with them or be, how, how you live in them or what, what that's like? Yes. Um, it's only been recent, like in the last few years, that I've even understood that I had a choice to not go there, mm. you know? That's important. Um, yeah, it's been a lifesaver, really. And, uh, yeah, so super emotional, feeling everything and feeling it strong. And um, and then that becomes kind of the map and who you are and how you orient, how I orient. Uh, and... Yeah, if, if I'm having an experience, I'm just much more likely to be caught in the feeling of it. And then it's hard for me to mobilize and do something about it. And uh, very much, like you were saying, using depression as a defense. Yes, because it then it confirms that I'm kind of, you know... It, deficient and I can't get it together and I don't have enough and the world is against me and uh, it confirms certain erroneous beliefs uh, <laughs> that are in there somewhere. Um, and what does that do for you? Because it sounds like there's a function to that, the focusing on what, how you're not, you know, living up to expectations or how you don't feel good. Well, it gives me permission to not do the things that I want to do. Mm. And also, it, I can become indulgent and, and self-medicate because this just sucks and who cares and I just want to feel better. Um, and so there's a way that it enables me to be kind of indulgent and selfish and because uh, it's all about me. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, especially at that point. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's I the way Naranjo puts it that I like about social four is it's there's like a focus on an intensification of suffering, almost as if it's like calling forth appreciation from people, like see how deeply I'm feeling things or see how much I suffer. Right. There's that element. And then what I was also tuning into earlier, because the internal experience is like a huge loudspeaker, actually, you know, and then it's like, wait, no, I have to be. Uh, you know, conscious of what's going on around me, I was feeling like, wow, if I get up there and I'm confessional, what's, you know, what's that about? And there's a way that it's also it serves the purpose of evoking sympathy. Uh, and so that you'll see me as, you know, fragile. And so you won't hurt me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. so there's that part as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, yes, thank you. Very clear. Thanks. Irina. Okay, so I'm your one-on-one uh, -on -one sexual four. I think could be the angriest on the on the whole deal. Right. Um, I And does um, that fit for you? Is that Pardon? Does that fit for you? That oh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I mean, not so much now, right. but certainly in my evolution. Um, I came to the Enneagram right when Helen Palmer started. Mm -hmm. And um, what I, I knew right away I was a four, and mostly because of the melancholic. Uh, very uh, sadness, love sadness, love it. Melancholic, uh, fabulous. And then what started to happen is I noticed all these people that were attracted to me and that I was attracted to were fours, and I couldn't stand them. <laughs> They were overbearing. It was always about them. They were very angry. They sucked the air out of the room. It was like, oh, my God, I am that. And I think, I think that was the beginning of my opening to shifting. Um, but I, I had a mom who was, um, she was a very big personality, and she was very uh, invasive and then very rejecting. So in the same person, I never, so I would experience the connection and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. I was definitely her shadow. Uh, she, was, she was a seven and my anger and all my feelings were just too much for her. Too much. And so I became bad. I became the identified patient in the family. I thought for a long time I was damaged goods. Uh, I was never enough. Um, I was very lucky, I want to say, about the force and why I was attracted to the force is because of creativity. Many of my creative partners, uh, artistic partners, have been fours. And I think the thing I love about the four is the imagination. I have an incredible imagination and I'm very, I'm very artistic. Uh, not autistic, artistic. <laughs> Although, sometimes. Um, <laughs> And what happened for me, the turning point for me, really, in my exploration of the anger, I was very young. I was involved in the suffragette movement in the late 60s in New York, so I got to be really angry, and that was a really justified way to be angry. <laughs> and then um, what happened was um, very uh, young into my 30s, uh, my whole family died. I had to have a hysterectomy, and I survived a very uh, brutal rape by a, a stranger breaking into my home. Mm. And, um, you know, at that moment, it was either, you know, I'm either going to die or I'm going to use the adversity to grow from. And I was very lucky because at the time I had been, I, I was a theatrical clown <coughs> and a master puppeteer for 20 years. Mm. So I created a, a set of, uh, a way to externalize uh, my uh, idiosyncrasies <laughs> through the characters of my different clowns wow. and to come to terms with a lot of the um, abuse that I had felt in my family. So my first character's name was Bulu, uh, Bulu the Clown, and she traveled with five baby oh, white baby dolls with red noses all named Baby Kaka. And all of, the, uh, all of the vignettes that I did was playing out the love-hate relationship between my mother and, 
and myself. So I'd be in a room and all these sounds would go off and I'd open the suitcase and I'd throw the babies in the suitcase and then I'd shut the suitcase and I'd see there was one little arm sticking out of the suitcase. So I'd open the suitcase, pick up the baby. And so it was this, this way that I found a way to love myself but I had to go through really externalizing all of it. And I, I think in the 20 years that I did this work, I developed six different characters based on idiosyncrasies and wounding and mm. things from the Enneagram that I began to learn as I studied the Enneagram. So, so my imagination was my saving grace and also my doom mm. because... Um, Story is such a big thing. It's it's kind of interesting. I turned it into a profession, having a three wing, and became a story coach. Um, but uh, I could take any anything that I was feeling, and I could exacerbate it through my imagination and make mm-hmm. it worse. And it would go on and on and on um, uh, until I woke up to starting to notice the stories and then I could shift the stories. But so the, the creativity and uh, my love of beauty are the great parts of being a um, one-on-one four. And, um, uh, and they've also provided me with a way to work through my wounding mm. as a four. Yes. Yeah. And I think you point to a lot of important things one is that uh, you know fours do have this aesthetic sensibility. They're very tuned into what something looks like, and um, and so there is this natural inclination to create art and to which I think is in some ways just like you're exactly like you're saying a way to self-express the emotions inside and turn them into something beautiful. Um, so I think that's uh, now, but you know it's important not to stereotype, like certainly any type on the Enneagram can be an artist and it's not like all fours are artists, but I think it is something quite unique and interesting about fours, partly I think because there is this deep connection to emotion, Mm -hmm. um, that it's often part of the healing of like turning that into art. You know, um, I think part of the reason the clown work was so uh, incredible Mm -hmm. for me was that I had two emotions when I started. I had anger and I had sadness. Mm. And I didn't understand any of the shades of gray. And so some, in some way I was attracted to this clown work because I got to make, you know, in clown you make the expression physically so big. And I think I had to make everything so big so that I could get the kinesthetic feeling of what it really was. Right. So it really taught me how, where the emotion happened in the body and how it got expressed. Uh, I was able to do through that and puppetry and other character externalization of all kinds of characters. Right, right. And it's interesting that externalization is something that sexual fours do, and then here you are using it in a positive way. Um, but it also uh, seems there's also a way that it's it's that fours are good at sort of dramatizing certain emotions, sometimes for defensive purposes, like I'm going to amp up the drama as a way of sort of like. Um, distracting from what's really going on yeah. at a deeper level. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that the um, the anger certainly uh, uh, shielded the hurt, and the hurt for me was about shame, deep-seated yes. deep shame. So it was yes. easier for me to, to feel the anger, and then it, I didn't have to feel the other feelings. Right. Um, once, but it was a, a tricky thing because... Because of the relationship with my mom, I think when I felt anger for many, many years, I, I was a headbanger. 
because I wanted to externalize yes. the hurt that I felt so much. I wanted to physically feel it. Right. And um, once I stopped doing that behavior, then I had to feel the shame. Mm. And I really had to feel right. the, the range of the painfulness of feeling right. that. Right. When not acting it out physically, then you right. felt it emotionally. Wow, that's really clear. Thank you so much. So maybe starting with Annika again, let's talk a little bit about the path to growth. Like what kinds of things have you observed in yourself, become aware of, or done to grow as a four? You've said a little bit about that so far, especially yeah, with the music uh, and, the, and the, the nature. The music. Um, I think the best thing for me is to stay in my... Make sure my, you hold it close oh, enough. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. The best thing is to stay in the body. And when I trip out in my head, um, you know, I have a tremendous sadness of having left my country. And that is still a problem um, because I like it better. Mm -hmm. um, but um, how I deal with that is stay in the body. And I remember way back 30 years ago, I don't know what happened then, uh, maybe my father died at that time in Holland. Um, then a friend of mine said, just work in the garden. Work in the garden. Go into the garden. Your tears will take the sadness. And I work a lot in the garden. <laughs> and it does. It does. Mm -hmm. I, I don't need to think. I don't trip out. Uh, I have a lot of sadness of that, of all the things which went wrong in the family and all that. But um, this is hard. Um, I go into the garden. I go into nature. Um, I uh, don't think that way because um, it gives me peace and quiet. And um, that's very much needed. I love, I love nature here. Uh, this is the most paradisical state I can imagine. And we live in a place where being on the bay, I cannot describe how beautiful that is. Um, it takes the sadness. Mm. And um, so that in spite of being light, I definitely have a very, uh, I, I don't call it dark, it's natural. Mm. All the stuff percolates up and then I go out. It's very important. Mm. I go on walks and um, I go in the boat or I swim. Swim is the most fantastic thing um, because it brings out the child in you and you can play in the water and you see all these people uh, like um, I, I swim at the JCC and they swim and they come with all their terrible bodies at times and they they go in the water and they have the most beatific smiles. And then I thought, what happened to them? I always, there's not one time, and I've gone there for hundreds of times, it always inspires me. It is unbelievable how people inspire me, how they deal with, um, you know, devastation of their body. And um, I had an illness in the last part of um, the year, and I thought definitely I was on 
the way of well, maybe dying of it. And I, th I thought, oh, just go in the water and just feel, you know. And it was wonderful. So that's how I deal with. Mm. And that's my growth. So, and especially Thich Nhat Hanh helps me a lot. Mm. And being in the now, Nishikadata mm. is very important to me. Um, just... Be here now and don't go anywhere, but be here mm. now. And as my husband has a sign in the barn, nothing is external. Uh, mm. I've been thinking about that a lot, and it's true. It all is inside. It's not out there. Mm. It's in here. Mm. And so going down, just being. If you're sad, be sad. It's fine. If something happens, what I don't like to see happen, then let it be, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. Yeah. So that's my growth, so you've, I think. Yeah, you've said a few different things that I think are really important. One is you're still in, very much in touch with that sadness that yeah. can bubble up, it yeah. seems like, uh, at times. Uh, but it sounds like one thing that you do is kind of go into action, you know, garden, yeah. uh, go on the, the, in the na into nature to yeah. exercise, that there's a way that you move your body as a way of yeah. allowing that. Um, another piece I want to highlight is is the being here now. I think a lot of times fours can focus on the past or focus yeah. on losses or focus on, like it, it might be easy to get carried away at times with thinking about Holland or how much yeah. how painful it is to not be where, uh, you know, in your country. And yet um, being in the moment and seeing what's good in the here and now yes. is incredibly great practices yes. for fours. Yes. Because it takes the focus away from what's missing or the past is seen as maybe either idealized or if something could have happened, it would be better. Um, and it puts you right into being with what is exactly like you just said, you know, be here now, notice what's positive in what's happening in the moment in, yeah. inside of you in the moment. Yes. Yeah. So that's a survival skill. Right. Well, it also sounds like a healthy way of, of mm -hmm. um, being given, you know, some of these experiences. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I also think it's interesting, too, that sometimes self-pres fours in particular will do something by themselves. Yeah. You know? I do a lot by myself. Right. That there's something yeah. comforting in that and being able, being even more able to feel free having your feelings yeah. when you're by yourself. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Thank you. Um, path of growth. Um, I think when I was young, I remember having a review done on me and they described me as an angry young man. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that was because of the belief that I thought that people didn't understand me. Mm. And I think that's been a growth edge for me, that people probably do understand me if I only give them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's really important, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the whole concept around ordinary. Mm. Um, Say more about that, um, please. <laughs> There's a beauty in the ordinary. I think that's what I've come to realise. And I can remember I, I, I wrote a 
I wrote a book and there was a path of growth and I'd written this whole thing about the four and I um, showed Ginger actually and um, she looked at it and she put a line right through it and um, two of my major teachers, okay, Jerry Wagner and Ginger Lapper Bogda and I'd put, you know, oh, about being special and all this stuff and and it's about embracing the ordinary and being special in the ordinary and recognising that the ordinary is my friend. That's what can release me. And in the past, has it felt bad to be ordinary? Yeah, you always tried to be something different or you had to be more special or do it differently or make something. If I do something, change something or do something in my way, it's because I think that is for the betterment of the group or myself or not for doing it differently, just for doing it differently. I think I used to get in this hang-up of, you know, getting too caught up in how I dressed or um, different. And I think when we can come to embracing the ordinary, uh, that's our friend I th or my friend, <sighs> I can drop into myself much more. Takes the pressure off needing to be special yeah. or needing to prove yourself. Um, I think the other big edge growth for me has been getting in touch with the body. Um, so for me, um, for eight years, I did one-to-one -one Pilates. I just did that over and over twice a week just because if I did it in a group, I could con myself and, you know, kind of pretend I wasn't doing, you know, said I was doing the exercise but I really wasn't because, you know, I really don't need to do it. But but when it was just me and the instructor, it I have I have to get into my body. You have to do the breathing. You know, you know I've taken up um, another thing at the moment involves boxing and, and I'm not a real, I hate, I, I'm not into violence, but it's getting the anger out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I really, you know, I do it at 6am in the morning and I hate it to think I've got to get up and do it. But I know it's good for me to get in touch with that body, feel it, mm. feel the, the effort of doing what I'm doing, mm. breathing. It's very, very important for me. Mm. Um, I think I relate very much to you about nature. Um, the garden is, I think, a metaphor for my life. And, um, yeah, my garden, you know, I've just sold my home and bought another one which has this tiny little garden. I had a huge garden in the other place and, you know, one garden of the year and that was my my focus. I worked that garden and I think it's really important to get your hands dirty. Um one of my spiritual directors when I was young said, when you're in the shit, stay in the shit. <laughs> he said, because if we clear all the shit away, the shit, I'm sorry to use that word in front of but the shit is the fertiliser of life. And so often we, often for me, we want to be clean. We want to take all the shit away. We want to make it all clean. And what I've come to learn is that at times things are messy. Sometimes it stinks. But if we sit with it long enough, the smell dissipates and we get the nutrient from that shit. Mm. 
So it's very important that has been for me. Um, so, you know, I'm lucky that I live right on the water and so and, – and it is for me. I don't know about you, but it's an effort to get up and do it. Mm-hmm. When I'm there, it's good. Mm-hmm. And I get overwhelmed with the beauty of the water and the bay and the oh, – but I know that is what I have to do for me, to get moving, get the exercise, just get the wind in my face to feel it, to – because otherwise it's too much, you know, it's a head job, the whole thing. It's a, I'm conning myself because I get stuck mm-hmm. and I can't get out of myself. So I've got to get into my body yeah. and that's the only way I can <sighs> calm down. What about, I know that for self-preservation <clears throat> fours, they can hold feelings in. What about talking about your feelings with others? Is that, how, how are you are you doing that as a... Or is um, that I, hard? Yeah, it's hard, difficult for me. I think um, I know for two there's a big pride, but I think for me personally, I don't know how it links when you go back up to the two, but have a great pride um, of what people think, mm-hmm. of what I thought I'd achieved and then perhaps I'm not where I was now. Mm. There's a whole backstory to this, but but I'm trying... Um, really consciously to be honest with those who I know love me about what the current situation is and just say this is how it is. And it's amazing when you do that, the people still love you as much if not more. Mm, So that's, you know, this has been a tumultuous past four years and... um, just being honest and just trying to, you know, like I was saying to you, like the self-preservation, I think, disappears. Mm. Just disappears. And so I've been saying to friends and who are close to me, if you think I've disappeared, can you ring? Can you keep hammering me? I'm asking you, would you do that for me? So that you're in my face and I've got to talk it out. Please, can you do that? So that's that's proved very, very um, beneficial for me, mm. of yeah. being more present, of just saying this is what it is, of admitting what's going on. Thank you. You're listening to a TNS episode from the Enneagram Panel Workshop Series with Beatrice Chestnut and host Michael Lerner. So I think the biggest growth path um, or the growth edge is understanding that I have a choice to stay with the feelings or not. And in my family, no one ever taught me I could be strong in the face of adversity. It was like completely fine to just collapse or else have an attitude of like, I don't want to and I shouldn't have to. Um, And which just perpetuates kind of feeling crappy. But I can now, I mean, and, I, and it takes work to make the conscious choice to uh, activate and also to get in my body. And there's a way where I would just, the, the old way is to feel bad and com- continue to feel bad and then 
you know, have a drink or complain or whatever. And the new way is like, hey, wait, what if I could actually like get out of the house and go for a walk? And like my compatriots here, uh, once I'm in nature and connecting with beauty, it's completely transformative. And then I'm in back in operating from my uh, deeper nature, truer self, and just popped out of the habits and personality uh, patterns. Um, and from there, the whole world opens up, and I feel like I can really, truly be of service. Um, and that's through definitely studying the Enneagram and therapy, and uh, I'm in a Sangha, Buddhist spiritual group, and um, you were talking about the ordinary piece, and I know for me, well, I remember it was years ago, and B, your book had just come out, and I was reading about it, and I was reading about the whole special thing of the four, and I'm like, oh, the whole time before that, I've been like, you know, I don't really relate to that, and then, I, I was like, when it finally hit, I was like, oh my God, like, my need to be special has been like a fucking neon sign to every other person in my life, <laughs> you know? Wow. I saw it. And then I started playing with, okay, so what if it's like, if, what's it like if I don't do that? Like, what's it like if I don't sit in the front row, you know, or if I don't, you know, wear this amazing thing or um, whatever. Uh, and then to just feel into the anxiety of, oh, if I'm not special, then I'm garbage, you know, is kind of what I recognized. And so then, okay, well, so then what's it like to just sit with that and be with that and recognize that now, you know, years later to recognize, um, like you were saying, there's just beauty in the ordinary and also like stripped of anything that I may try to do to get attention or be special. I'm not a wallflower. I mean, it's like, I don't have to try so hard because it's going to happen anyway. And then it's just sort of a byproduct of just being and being myself. And so that feels um, like it just comes from a better place. And I've been able to not drive myself as hard to do certain things that I thought I needed to do in order to um, stand out and be appreciated. So I think that's what I can think of now. That's great. One, one thing I want to highlight in what, you're, what all three of you have said is it can be really good for fours because they're so internal to, to come outside themselves with their awareness. And I hear you saying that, in, especially when you talk about being in nature. Like all of a sudden my focus shifts from inside myself in my internal world where a lot of the feelings are. And it's like you're saying, go, I can go around in my head with these tapes out into, wow, like how beautiful everything is out here, you know? And I think that helps for us often to come outside themselves and check out that actually reality is pretty good, uh, like you're saying. Right. Well, and also with that piece, nature is so, um, just the beauty is so compelling that it's so fulfilling to the four that, that, that needs yes. to have that deep, deep connection and deep openness of heart right. and the so nature can do that where otherwise if I'm not aware of that I'm just trying to get it from another person you know like oh can we have more intimacy can we have more attention can we but then it's like go out in nature and it's like wow there it is you know and I'm completely and I'm at home with myself so there's somebody there too so to appreciate it and you're appreciating nature so what about relationships um 
is what's what's been your growth in relationship? I'm realizing that there's another person there besides me. <laughs> yeah, realizing that that other person is not an annex of me. Um, say, say that again, I'm sorry. Realizing that that other person is not an annex of me. <laughs> They're solely to meet my needs. And, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, tolerating someone else's need for space and then recognizing, of course, I have my own need for space, but, um, so being in relationship and particularly my current relationship, my marriage is maybe the place where I have been given the opportunity to grow the most. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. And, um, yeah. And I'm a relationship. I mean, I love all kinds of relationship. I had a million different, like, imaginary, I had a whole imaginary, like, community when I was <laughs> growing up. And, uh, you know, I'm a couples therapist, my favorite thing to do. And I just, you know, I love love and love relationships. So thank you. I absolutely agree with you, um, noticing that there's somebody else there uh, in relationship. And it actually has been one of my greatest teachers because. Um, I'm with a nine and, uh, my wife is a nine and she is, doesn't think she really has an identity. So what I really got was, or she doesn't exist. So I really got after a while, I would just overwhelm her, like completely overwhelm her. And I would finally look at her and I would see that she already felt like she didn't exist. And then I just made her feel worse about that. Like she didn't exist. And because I want, I love her and I wanted her to be happy, it made a huge change for me. Mm. I thought, okay, I better back off. I better give this person space so that she can flourish and she can become a whole person. And it really shifted so much for me. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't just in that, and, and so in that relationship, that was key. Also, just in general, I, I would used to get really angry at service people. I mean, again, mm. the one-on-one -on -one four is angry at everybody. Anyway, so I was at the bank one day. I waited in line. I waited in line. I waited in line. And I got was getting really angry. And I got to the counter. And I gave it to this man. I mean, I just... <clears throat> took my stamps and I left and I got in my car and I, I drove up the hill towards my house and I got it. And I pulled over and I went, Arena, you cannot do that to people anymore. And I turned my car around. I went all the way back to the post office. I stood in the line again and I got up to that guy and I said, I am so sorry. Yeah. And he was like, and, and then, every, of course, every time I went to that post office, he just was my best friend. <laughs> um, but I, I just finally got that my behavior had an impact on other people. So that was a big wake-up call for me. Um, I think uh, certainly I've been on a spiritual path and, and done a lot of workshops and trainings and meditation. And I think the big thing for me has been the physical body. Mm. Yoga, uh, it, it took me, I've been doing it for many, many years, and I need it. Mm. 
and the breathing, I need it, and my garden, I need it, and getting my hands in the dirt, I need it. And nature is so exquisitely beautiful that it just quiets me down. The other big thing that I think really helped me in terms of the forest stuff of not being enough, always finding what's missing, not being good enough, was um, I kept a gratitude journal for a year. Mm. And every day I wrote five things that I was grateful for. And one of the things had to be what I was grateful for about myself. Wow, that's great. That's a good one. So that started really to build um, my, uh, I think, you know, seeing the the, the, the cup, half full rather than half empty. And I am happy to say at the age I am now, I am actually happy. <laughs> and my anger uh, comes up. It's good, but I'm aware enough to know that I don't want to hurt other people with it, which has also been a wake-up call for me. I've alienated a lot of friends over the years because of my anger and lost friendships. And... Um, when I woke up to that, I thought, I, I can't, I don't, I, and now I deal with it all inside. I still have all the stories and all the, but I don't mm. lay it out on people. Mm, okay. I get, oh, there it is again. I'm doing the same story again. How mm. interesting. Mm. So it's just that self-awareness and getting my hands dirty and giving gratitude and breathing um, and seeing the ordinary is extraordinary mm-hmm. just let it be ordinary mm-hmm. it's a lot of really clear examples and I think uh, what you're saying about self-awareness there is so clear that when you're self-aware enough to stop the reaction from happening which can happen so quickly for all of us uh, is that's that's a big that's a big key and I hear you all saying that in really great ways a lot of different things beautiful. Mm-hmm. I want to say quickly about the arrow movements for four. Uh, So four going against the arrow goes to one. Uh, And here, exactly like we've been hearing you say, four is get in the body and get more grounded. And there's more of a physical foundation to hold the fluctuation of the feelings uh, and to, to have more of a sense of ground and containment. Um, Also getting in touch with um, bringing creative visions into practical reality. Uh, Gardening, I think, might be a good example of foregoing to one and sort of doing things that are uh, both creative uh, but also require certain processes and are sort of getting in touch with the ground, literally getting more grounded uh, in nature, I think, is a great example of going to one. Ones will often say that nature, uh, ones try to be perfect, but people aren't perfect, but nature is perfect, you know, and so there's something relaxing about that. I think then when fours uh, integrate one and then go to two, two can be more of a difficult place. Sometimes uh, fours can go there in an unconscious way and get a little more worried about what people think or co- sort of compulsively give to people to be approved of. Uh, things like that, but I think going to uh, four, going to two, four, going to two in a conscious way, 
uh, more intentionally is about balancing the internal with the external. So like you said, noticing that somebody else is there, <laughs> which I love the way you both said that, um, noticing that there's another person there and really tuning into that person and having it be a back and forth and a balancing of inside myself and understanding what I feel and need and understanding what they feel and need. Uh, and I also think that there's a way that um, giving and receiving uh, get balanced in that way. Uh, and so uh, learning to be of service, uh, learning to be selfless, uh, but also connected to oneself and have that be a two-way street. <coughs> Anything just, you want to say about things, that? Just two things. I think gratitude is a very big Yes, gratitude piece. is huge. I, I think that's one of the main redemptive forces for me, really, yeah. if I think about it. Um, second thing is putting myself out into the world. I think that's a big thing, whether it's with artwork, whether it's whatever you create or leadership position, whatever, just putting yourself out there. And, and, I, that's, and I think too for the self-press for opening yourself up out there, mm -hmm. it can be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Taking that risk. The other thing I was just going to, I was just thinking about it. A lot of people I think don't, it's not for every four, but I think a majority of fours are actually very practical actually quite hands-on yeah. and I think a lot of people don't realise that, that we're actually very practical in what we can do. I think often we think of the four as this special thing and they're, they're portrayed as this artistic thing and I get a bit irritated about it actually when I see some Me of the, the pictures of, you know, they're in this little outfit and they're an artist there but <laughs> I think, mm, you know. And I think um, especially the self press four is very practical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think. Life saver, I find. Yeah, yeah. I'm very practical, and I think that's. Um, I think people get amazed at that when they get to know you. That you actually get your hands dirty. You know, you know how to paint. You can, you know, I mean, paint a house, or you can. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So, Michael, anything you want to add, or any comment or question? Well. Um, several things. First of all, a wonderful panel, thanks to each of you. Um, secondly, I want to prepare Jennifer Stoll for the fact that I'm going to ask her to say a few words as director of the Retreat Center and senior staff on the Cancer Health Program. And I will not call on the other fours on the Commonweal staff because they don't want me to, but, um, but uh, I'd love to ask Jennifer to say a few words, and then I, I will follow up on that. Jennifer, any reflections? For four and being special, being put on the spot, it's quite a thing to do. <laughs> Great, Michael. To speak about being a four. Mm -hmm. um, it's been so, instruct so instructive to hear all of your um, comments about being four, um, I've learned a whole lot. Thank you. Um, I love the cross-section of differences you all express because you're, you're, I agree with you, Patrick, we're not just the airy visionary out there, da-da. Um, and I go to people like Bob Dylan and Prince and some of these creative artists that had their feet on the ground and really sang from their hearts and really changed culture. So I just want to, I guess, add to the mix and say I'm one of those extremely lucky 
Fors, who is also happy. In fact, I would say deeper than happy. Incredible joy. It wasn't always that way in my younger days where a lot of the same struggles I felt that you all expressed. My sense is, if I can just riff, Beatrice, on some of what you said about some of the in-between places, I was very touched about the gap between the four and the five, that place of darkness, Persephone territory, going dark. Every one of you have been there. I certainly have. And if one can get through that to then get to what's deeper than the darkness and higher is that incredible joy. And the specialness I like to refer to with all my own stuff, I like to see as something that happens along the way. Getting older helps. It does, really. Sooner or later, you start to get it. Um, <laughs> but this, this thing about specialness, if somehow that can lodge really in your heart, cross-translates to the recognition that if, if you can begin to see that in yourself, you see it in everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And even as I say this, I get goosebumps. Yeah. It's so powerful. So these labels that we apply to each other and try to use to understand numbers, deeper than the number and the label is, is this other that may be a way of seeing in the world that's just transformative without even trying. Ordinary divinity. Well, yeah, that's lovely. Ordinary divinity was just contributed. Um, the numinous and the ordinary, all of that. So sort of an as above, so below. So I'm grateful for this continuing understanding of all the nuances of, of these dimensions that have been helped by understanding the Enneagram. Lots of ground to still be on, but it's really been a beautiful afternoon, beautiful day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Jennifer. Everybody participating. Uh, let Thank me you. just say a few more words before we open it up. Um, <clears throat> I think I am married to a four. Now, when I say I think I'm married to a four, my beloved wife, uh, Cheryl Patton, who is not here, um, uh, has not evinced a lot of interest in Enneagram to this point. And so she hears me say that I think she's a four, but I don't have her first-hand experience of that. That said, I, I, th I think that the evidence is there that she is. <laughs> and, and so a five and a four in a marriage is really interesting because oh. along with twos, fours need and want love and connection, whereas fives are the most detached point on the whole Enneagram, right? And so um, we've been married for uh, about 35 years, and uh, we actually love each other and get along. But it's been, you know, I think all marriages, all long-term marriages are a very special form of yoga. You know, they're <laughs> special, special, quote, spiritual discipline, whatever you want to call it. You certainly learn a lot from them. And one of the things that so when Jennifer mentioned Bob Dylan, uh, you know, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, I imagine, this capacity which fours have to move between light and dark in, the, in an instant. And if you really study Leonard Cohen's music or Bob Dylan's music, they flip in a single verse between light and dark all the time. So 
you know, the, 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 the language of, uh, I don't think I've heard the language so often used for fours of individualist and tragic romantic. And in your book, of course, uh, B, you talk about this is uh, the Jungian shadow. And so one of the things about fours that strikes me is that they may live in darkness a lot, but they see the light within the darkness. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that it is that genius, literally, that uh, because if you live in shadow, if you live in close proximity to suffering, what does Carl Jung say about suffering? That only through suffering does consciousness evolve. And so it seems to me that within the suffering of the tragic romantic, the individualist, there is this individualization of higher consciousness, which comes precisely because of the constant presence of suffering. So it actually led me to ask you a question, B, which is because some points on the Enneagram are outer-oriented and others are inner-oriented, you talked about how threes can read a room but not read themselves, for example. Is there a relationship, four strikes me as a particular point of it, between um, inner focus and uh, intuitive or even psychic capacity? Are there certain points on the Enneagram that are more open to intuitive or even psychic capacity precisely because they have this deep sensitivity and awareness to inner experience? Um, I think so. I think, of course, all types can be intuitive yeah. uh, in small and large ways. I think sixes sometimes have a special ability that might be called psychic. Helen Palmer was a psychic of like deciding what's going to happen next and getting so good at that coping strategy that you kind of feel, you intuit what's happening mm -hmm. next. I think sixes have that in a mental way. I think nines have that in a physical way. Mm -hmm. You often find nines being channels. Mm -hmm. um, there's a certain openness when Uranio and I do our way of the symbol workshop and we're working on a mat. Nines feel the energy of the field more easily. Uh, and I would say fours have a special kind of emotional intuition I see. of sort of sensing what's going on at an emotional level that's not being talked about. You know, so I think there's di the different types have different kinds of mm. special sort of extrasensory experience. And in Almas's work, isn't for holy origin? Yes. And that strikes me too, because uh, my wife has an extraordinarily strong interest in. Um, early hominids uh, and, uh, and primatology. And so there's this way in which for me, uh, she picks up the holy origin piece in a very concrete way mm. by her interest in the origins of being human. Mm -hmm. so, um, so for me, the, uh, and, and I have many friends whose immense creativity comes out of the suffering of being for. So I have a, a special place in my heart for um, the beauty that comes out of the ability to walk in darkness. And the strength, yeah. inner strength. So let's open it up for, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael, for that. It was mentioned here by whom about, we think that what we want, all of us, is to be loved. Yes. That maybe what we really want is to love. 
Yes. Yeah. And there's a place there that's very meaningful to me as a form. And that to love, to be able to know you can love, that is almost the same thing as being loved. Right. It probably it is. Somehow Yep. Yeah, yep. I'll add one more thing to what Jennifer said, because Jennifer and I have been on the, uh, on the staff of the Cancer Help Program for about 35 years, and we've done uh, 33 years. We've done 206 week-long retreats. We start our next one on Sunday. And Jennifer has this beautiful line that she says, because many of the staff members have been together for over 20 years. And Jennifer said about the Cancer Help Program staff that we see each other into being, which I find a very beautiful line, that a group of people is like a chamber music quartet that's played forever, forever, but nonetheless keeps rediscovering new things in the music. In the Cancer Help Program, we have over decades seen each other into being. And there's something about Jennifer's sensitivity uh, on the staff of the Cancer Help Program and with, and she does the evening on sacred space. Mm. On this, so she not only has created the beauty of the retreat center, which is extraordinary, and created the chapel at Commonweal, which is extraordinary, but <laughs> her sensitivity as a four to sacred space. I'm just giving these as examples of how this actually plays out in the Commonweal community in the one four who would be willing to be called on here. <laughs> so I'll Tol tolerated call, being called yeah. on. Yeah. So let's open it up for comments. Here. Michael? I'm just curious to hear if you guys each know the stack of your instincts. Just, I'm just curious where you guys see your Sequence of your instincts. So what's first, what's second, what's third? Yeah, for me it's uh, self-pressed, sexual, social, so that's, yeah. For me it's for me, it is self-press, sexual, and social. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, I'm sexual. I don't know if it's uh, self-press or social. Mm -hmm. I tend to think it's probably social. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, I think I'm four, and... Um, about longing and how, how longing has impacted your experience as fours. And I was just thinking as you were talking, Jennifer, how for me, longing is like this longing for God, really. It's also longing for beauty and it keeps me painting. I just keep trying, even though I keep failing, but I just keep trying to find that, that perfect line or perfect beauty or I'm just wondering if that resonates with any of you. Well, the, the longing is intense and it's as beautiful as nature. And it also, for me at this time of my life, it's important to let it be. So I don't need to reach a goal of the longing, like I would love to live in Holland. But I made a conscious decision last September that I have to let Holland go. 
and so that it is important to concentrate on the present. And that was difficult and it was right. And uh, no, so the longing has decreased for that. I still have the feeling how wonderful it would be, but um, the longing has a limit. And so that is very important now to realize it's not a negative, it's an acceptance and gratitude for being here right now. So that's what it is for me. Anyone else want to say anything about longing? Well, I can say in my younger years, I, in terms of relationships, uh, it was crazy making the longing because I would be with one person longing for the other person and then I'd get with the other person and I'd be longing for the other person. Um, and so the more distance, I mean, I had great international relationships. It was better if people were like in another continent. <laughs> much, much better. Then I could really love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any other questions? Mm. Yeah. I, so I'm a, a four married to a nine, which I think is a popular thing to do. I don't know why. <laughs> but just this whole, I, I guess I, I think we, as, as fours, there's this longing for like emotional, like intense emotional connection with a partner. And if your partner is a more withdrawing type, um, or it could be a nine, or another person, a person who doesn't necessarily share that desire, you know, and I heard a couple comments about like backing off, giving space, or, but then there must be this struggle between, you know, you back off completely and then what you do, you internalize, you know, you don't meet your, your needs. I'm I just wondering if any of you have any comments about sort of the need you know, for the intensity. To, yeah, yeah, engage a partner who might not share that same kind of Might not meet value. you in that same yeah. way. Yeah. Um, Anyone want to have a comment about that? Um, intensity? That to a certain extent. Sorry. Uh, to a certain extent. And then I need to be by myself. So then you get, I heard ages ago when I was on another panel uh, in Palo Alto, then they said, oh, you have the push and pull thing. No, no, that's not it. But then it becomes so much the intensity uh, that it's not practical, you know, to live a life. Because I was a single mother at that time, and you need to be practical when you are single. And um, I thought, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So then you take a halt. And then, you know, there's another time again. Mm -hmm. So definitely not all the time. I, mm -hmm. no, you would just, yeah, I would. So anyone else have issues <laughs> having a lot of intensity and <laughs> having a partner who's not really, um, doesn't have that high level? So I feel like in my own path of maturity, I've had less of a need for the intensity. And my first husband was a five and there was a more of a gap there although we had a great mental thing going. Um, and my current husband is a two, and it's much more fulfilling for me because there's desire for relating and connecting. Um, of course, I want to get way more into the feelings and the muck and the mire and the vulnerability <laughs> and stuff, you know, the intensity. But I feel like it's just kind of 
me learning how to be uh, patient and generous and um, inviting, but not, you know, clawing. And <laughs> um, so I think it's, if it's coming out like I want it from other and it's getting intense because I want intensity, I think now, now I know how to work with that internally and then that can be its own experience. And it then I'm kind of way change more, the dynamic. Change the you, dynamic, yeah. yeah. And then I'm much more connected to myself and then I'm much more loving and then I approach my partner in a different way which then garners more a connection, not necessarily intensity, but at that point I don't need intensity, I just want connection. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, thank you. I guess I guess it was more con connection might be a better word, actually. And, and nines like to be invited and asked questions and drawn out, too. I think that could be another, yeah. All right, thank you so much. You've been listening to a TNS episode documenting the Type 4 panel from the Enneagram Workshop Series. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.